This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Ha-cha! Hi, this is Dave Wagner, creator of The Guns of Shadow Valley, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Ad-libbing is welcome and encouraged. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 166 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 18th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not patrolling northern Minnesota, saving alligator snapping turtles from certain doom, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. That's a true story. <laughs> Got out of the car, picked it up. That thing was pissed. I bet. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not routinely being left to act as the lone steward of the THN Digital Empire and smart enough not to put my hot little hands near any snapping turtle's mouths, let alone one with alligator in its name, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you'll hear our in-depth reviews of The Wicked and the Divine, number one, and Winterworld, number one. After that, we're going to review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster than the Redskins can change their name to something even more offensive during the ludicrous speed round. <laughs> then... The Foreskins. Oh, come The on. Washington Foreskins. Jeez. Oh, I did see a thing on Twitter. There's a movement to call them the Washington Human Beings. <laughs> 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 then we'll retire the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Alex Cooper is stopping by to talk about his return to funny books and what he's going to be reading next week. And then we'll review Raphael Grandpa's ultra-violent Mesmo delivery when we take a look at in a book. But before we congratulate Chile on knocking off the world champ Spain while wondering why the whole world gets so damn excited about games that typically end in ties, let's send out a get well soon to beloved Hollywood weirdo and drunk Harrison Ford, who broke his leg on the set of the new Star Wars this week. Don't worry, I'm sure he was sober. <laughs> and we'll talk about this week's big news. Glug, glug, glug. <laughs> We got big news. Starting off with some sad news this I, week. I appreciate you doing this first. So we don't have to make a joke right after we talk about yeah, it. Yeah, right. You know. I figured <laughs> it's best to get it out of the way. There we go. Prolific voice actor and radio personality Casey Kasem has passed away at the age of 82. Kasem lent his voice to countless characters throughout our childhoods, such as Norville Shaggy Rogers from Scooby-Doo, Robin from Super Friends, and Cliff Jumper from Transformers. True story, though. He quit working on Transformers because they created a villain character that was like a super racist Arab stereotype, and he's Lebanese, and he was like, I'm out. Really? Yep. Who was it? Whirlwind? No, no. It was like a one-off villain, like a dictator, like an Iranian dictator or oh, whatever. Oh, 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 on the show. Yeah, on the he's show. He's a human being. Yeah, he was a human character on okay, the show, and okay. Casey Kasem wasn't having any of Good it. Good for him, man. Yeah. Fight the power, buddy. That's right. Surrounded by his loved ones, Kasem died on Sunday after a battle with Parkinson's disease. His nearly six-decade-long career has left behind a body of work that will endure for generations. Like Cliff Jumper, for example. Tell me how you're feeling. I don't give a crap about his, like, billboard, whatever, but I understand that it was important to music. Top 40. It was, and it sort of got perverted into something gnarly later on. Probably not dude's fault. But yeah, that voice alone. That voice yeah. alone. Now, you want to have a good time? 
get on YouTube and look up the Casey Kasem outtakes and you can hear him <laughs> losing his mind, like showering curse words on people. I love it. It's a great time. I love no, it. Casey Kasem, that's like a big part of both of our childhoods. Yeah. The guy did a million cartoon voices. We listed like four of them here. He's credited with thousands. Right. And like he was doing voice work all the way up till I think 2009. So well into this decade. Yeah. The guy was definitely prolific. He will be missed. Absolutely. In Hollywood news, HitFix has reported rumors that Cal Drogo himself, Jason Momoa, has been cast as Aquaman in Zack Snyder's upcoming Superman versus Batman, colon, Dawn of Justice, colon, Introduction to the Justice League, colon, starring everyone you've ever wanted to see in a DC movie. (laughs) Of course, nothing has been confirmed by Warner Brothers, but HitFix has a reputation for reliability, folks. Speaking of rumors... Joe Patrick, the man was cast as Conan the Barbarian as well in one of the worst Conan the Barbarian movies ever made, and that counts Conan the Destroyer, which sucked. So <laughs> I loved it. Of the we three Conan the Barbarian movies. It is by far the worst. <laughs> <laughs> they are not by they far. are not batting a thousand. Jason Momoa is a big, strong, sexy looking dude. He looks great as any fierce barbarian. He was perfect as Cal Drogo. Because all he had to do was speak a fake language, nail a hot chick from behind, and murder people. You know, like yeah, that yeah. was his job. And he was good at it. Now, do you picture him as the charismatic leader of the Atlanteans, blonde haired, blue eyed Aquaman? That depends. Are they going to do bearded hook hand Aquaman? Cause I, that I'm into. Even so, but like, have you heard this guy's voice? Well, yeah, I mean, I've seen I want your head. You know, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's kind of really weird. That's not voice. how he sounds yeah, on they, Game of they Thrones. dubbed him. That's why it's not his real voice. I don't think <laughs> that can't be true. Well, his real voice was in Conan and he sounds like a scrawny little dork that whispers a lot. Well, cause he was on Stargate or one of the Stargates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like the tough guy on Stargate. And I don't remember people disliking him. No, I mean, he looked good again, like playing alien stuff. I'm sorry. This is not my Aquaman. That's ridiculous. No. No, a thousand times, no. <laughs> this is dumb. This is the dumbest <laughs> casting. Like, they, everybody else is cast really well. I don't. I didn't particularly love the Wonder Woman casting, but then I watched, you know, Fast and Furious 9 or whatever that movie that she was in, and I went, oh, maybe she'll be good. You know, she was good at doing some action. She could be great. I don't know. Affleck is Batman. You got that right. I'm into it. I like the way Superman looks. Henry Cavill looks good. Jason Momoa? Really? This is your Aquaman? I'm just going to let you keep going. Dumb. I have it's, it's no dumb. I have no opinion. Ugh. Jason Momoa's in my opinion, Jason Momoa's casting as Aquaman is like the least offensive thing that Warner Brothers has done with the Superman property. So Well, I mean it just seems to me We will see. that he is good as a badass. Good Maybe at, he'll be a badass. Good at killing people and looks tough as hell. Maybe it'll be tough guy Aquaman. He is not my Aquaman. He's not. He's not going to be a well-spoken, charismatic leader. You know, like no. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, I will guarantee that that is not the Aquaman we're going to get. Probably not. They're going to give us a hard. We're going to get tough Aquaman. guy Aquaman. Extreme Aquaman. Speaking of rumors, former Deadline writer Nikki Finky or Fink, I don't know, launched her new site with the story outlining a supposed plan for Warner Brothers DC Films that would include seven films with a two-year span. That's a lot of movies in two years. It's a lot. Starting with Superman v. Batman, colon, Dawn of Justice in May 2016, and the rest of the lineup looks like this. 
Shazam in July 2016, Sandman Christmas 2016, Justice League in May 2017, Wonder Woman in July 2017, a Flash Green Lantern team-up film for Christmas of 2017, and Man of Steel 2 in May 2018. How is Batman versus Superman not Man of Steel 2? Because it's not Man of Steel. Still too, it's Superman v. Batman colon Donald Justice. So what do you think? Any of this even sound remotely true? Is this someone trying to drum up some web hits? And if it is true, is this good? I mean, it's certainly ambitious. It's more than ambitious. This sounds like bullshit to me. This sounds like a lot to get rolling that fast. Superman v. Batman colon Dawn of Justice <laughs> has been in development. What a great title. <laughs> for a, a while, at least since... Last July. Yeah, well, when it was announced at Comic Con. Yeah, I mean, you would assume a little longer than that, but we've known about that for a while. And now you're talking about something that's happening two months after that with the Shazam movie, and we don't know anything about it. Does that seem a little odd? I think the Shazam movie was announced, or at least rumored. There was a rumor a while ago. And the Sandman thing was already announced. Obviously, Justice League was already announced. They would be idiots to not do a Wonder Woman movie. Of course. So all of these sound plausible except for the Flash Green Lantern team up, which no hint of that has come out at all since they started this round of movies. I'd be very curious to see it if it were true. But is it going to be the Flash from the TV show? Is, are they going to recast Green Lantern? You know, I mean, I would say they have to reboot Green Lantern. I would say so as well. That movie was a failure, an yeah. abject failure. I'm all for it. If they can pull it off, I'm all for it. They have a lot of ground to make up. You know, we we have made fun of them countless times for lagging behind Marvel and and trying to yeah. and just eating Marvel's dust. And well, here they are. They're doing what we've said that they need to do. This is true. I need to see a true success first, though. And I'm saying Man of Steel was not that true success. I think that this Superman Batman movie is going to make or break. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if that any tanks. Any future plans. And not, I mean, it's um, not going to tank. It's no, not going to tank. tank. It's going to be a blockbuster. But I'm saying if it's not a massive, huge success, that could, I mean, that could be it for all of these movies. Forget it. I'm going to say something. I'm going to make a prediction. Okay. Nerd bet. Um, sure, if you want. It's called a nerd bet. Put it on the nerd board. Well, it's only a nerd bet if you disagree with me. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say that in terms of dollars, butts in seats, Superman versus Batman colon Dawn of Justice is going to rival Avengers. Really? Yeah. It's going to rival the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. Avengers has five characters that people barely know. Gotcha. This one has Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, and Cyborg, and Aquaman. I'm taking this nerd bet, man. I'm putting it in the nerd bets notes right now. I said rival. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to blow it out of the water. I'm saying it's going to be up there. We'll go the first weekend, opening weekend. How does that sound? We'll talk about opening weekend. What did Avengers Avengers make? Opening weekend made $207 million. That is massive. I can see that. So you say it's going to at least match that opening weekend. That's our bet? That's No, that's not what I said. I said it's going to come close. It's going to rival. Are you willing? You can't bet. (laughs) You're the one that wanted to make it a bet, Make the bet. If you believe in it, make the bet. Will it make 200 million first weekend? Yes. I bet no. There we go. I bet yes. Nerd bet. There it is. Good God. It's like pulling teeth on this show. (laughs) You realize we don't even win anything other than I told you so. (laughs) 
<laughs> and in comic news, DC Comics and Dynamite Entertainment are teaming up to create a truly bizarre meeting between Quentin Tarantino's Good job. Django yeah. Unchained. You almost said teaming up to team up. <laughs> yeah, I did. Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained and Zorro in a story co-plotted by comics legend Matt Wagner and Tarantino himself. Reginald Hudlin, who scripted the Django Unchained adaptation for Vertigo, will serve as editor for Django Zorro. In a press release from the publisher, Tarantino said, quote, I'm very, very excited about both this story and the opportunity to work with Matt. It was reading his Zorro stories that convinced me what a good idea it was to join these two icons together. And the story idea we came up with is thrilling, and I think will be an exciting new chapter for both characters. You have to picture him, like, coked out and sweaty and, like, yeah. m- moving his hair a lot while he <laughs> gave <Right>. that quote. <laughs> I was going to try to do an impression, but I, I couldn't, and there's no way. No details were given regarding the plot, full creative team, or even a release date, though the series is expected to launch sometime this year. Matt, is it just me, or do you find the idea of teaming Tarantino characters with other characters from pop culture really strange? I don't know. Not necessarily. I mean, Dynamite basically has the rights to Zorro for nothing because he's just out there, you know, public domain. So whatever. Why DC wants to do this, I mean, other than maybe they just have a really good story from Matt Wagner and Dynamite sees this as a way to kickstart sales on their Zorro books, which don't sell a whole lot that Wagner's been writing, and they are good. So I think it's better for Dynamite than it is for DC, but I think DC also sees this as a way to sell more Django books without just like the continuing adventures of Django Unchained. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I could see it scratching both backs a little bit and uh, does give a little more credit to our rumor that DC was going to buy Dynamite. (laughs) Sure. But why why wouldn't DC just do the further adventures of Django Unchained? Uh, I mean, maybe Tarantino's not into it. Maybe that's not what he wants him to do. You know what I mean? Maybe. And, and maybe this was just the story that he got hit with. I'm sure Hudlin and Wagner are probably buddies. They've both been in the comics industry for a long time. Sure. Wagner had Hudlin's ear. Hudlin had Tarantino's ear. You know, that's how this stuff happens in Hollywood, baby. I guess. I mean, it's just the idea that these characters exist in a world with other pop culture icons is very weird to me. Like, yeah, the Inglorious Bastards meeting up with Easy Company, right? Or Sergeant right. Fury, or the Howling like, Commandos. No, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that ever. I don't think the Jew Bear and Frenchie teaming up. You know. Still, I mean, I'm into it. Matt Wagner, of course, is wonderful. Yeah, and so at the very least, it is a curiosity. Yeah, we'll give it a read and we'll review it on this show. I'm sure. That's the big news this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where Joe and I are pitching our idea for a Zorro the Gay Blade and Blazing Saddles crossover where the Old West gets a lesson in biracial sexual relations. Sounds sexy? Yeah! He rode a blazing saddle He wore a shining star Every Sunday, the terror of everywhere joe patrick posts the question of the week in our thn web forum which you can find by clicking the link at twitternerd.com joe what are we asking the listeners this week this week something a little different born out of a twitter discussion that i was having with andrea shockling victor von zoom charles from the pan culture podcast chuck as we like to call him yeah chuck we were talking about dr strange okay it's a hot topic right now that's right the dr strange movie is in development 
who is going to portray Doc Strange okay. is on everyone's minds. We were talking about it. So I thought it would be fun if this week the listeners cast their perfect Doctor Strange movie. I love it. Now. I love it. There are rules, so pay attention. This is not fantasy dream casting. Yes. No, like... Nope. Sir Lawrence Olivier from 1930. Oh, yeah. No young Billy D. Williams. No young <laughs> Billy D. Williams. Current actors. Although I did, someone did suggest a young Crispin Glover. Oh. <laughs> I was like, man, that would be so weird. Yeah, it would be weird. <laughs> so, current actors living. They can be retired if you want. But they have to be able to do the job. They have to be alive. And, and, and yeah, so... Cast your Doctor Strange movie. You can cast just Doctor Strange if you want, but if you want to come up with Clea and well, Wong let's and all focus that. that. That's what I want to say. I want to hear your choice for Doctor Strange, Clea, and Manservant Wong. Let's hear it. There you go. The, you want to hear those three? Cast them. Do your best. The, the Doctor Strange is the most important yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most importantly, Doctor Strange. But, you know, come on. Yeah. So, you have until midnight this coming Thursday, June 26th, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype handle is 2 nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Keep it short. Under three minutes, Google will cut you off. You can also send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. But again, please remember, be considerate of your fellow callers. Keep it short. Matt will trim your call down if he feels... I'll whoop your call's ass. <laughs> I ain't scared. As always, pick one. One actor one for actor each part. Or actress. I think they still like to be called actors. I think that's right. One actor. Sisters are doing it for themselves. It's true. If you need more time than that or you have more choices, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. You'll hear about them several more times. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Throughout the episodes. It's review time on THN where Joe and I paint our faces like World Cup lunatics and scream at the top of our lungs about two of this week's new comics. Joe, are you rooting for or against your read this week? I'm all for it, man. Yeah? Yeah. All right. This week I'm reviewing The Wicked and the Divine Number 1 from Image Comics written by Kieran Gillen with art by Jamie McKelvey and colors by Matt Wilson. Here's the solicit. Every 90 years, 12 gods incarnate as teenagers. They are loved. They are hated. In two years, they are dead. The team behind critically thermonuclear floor fillers, Young Avengers, and Phonogram reunite to start a new ongoing superhero fantasy with a beautiful oversized issue. Welcome to the Wicked and the Divine, where gods are the ultimate pop stars. But remember, just because you're immortal doesn't mean you're going to live forever. And when I said that, Matt clutched his heart. <laughs> I, I almost died. <laughs> this issue opens with the death of the gods' previous incarnations 90 years ago, but of the 12, only four of the gods are present at the end. The scene sets up an interesting mystery surrounding the fates of those characters while reinforcing the solicit's idea that just because you're immortal doesn't mean you're going to live forever. Fast forward to today to a young girl named Laura. She yearns to be one of the gods to be part of their world, and soon she's going to get drawn further into that world than she ever dreamed. I've never read Gillen and McKelvey's phonogram. I did. It was great. I I know it's criminally overlooked, and I should have, but I haven't. As described by the writer, phonogram is about how individuals interact with the art that inspires, recreates, and destroys them. The Wicked and the Divine is more about the artists themselves and the people whose lives they touch, wrapped in a superpowered fantasy setting. 
There's no denying that Gillen and McKelvey produce amazing work together. The cadence of the dialogue and the panel layout of each page create a lyrical quality that's present throughout the entire issue. McKelvey's art is brilliant and his sense of storytelling is perfect. The artist has a knack for facial expressions that rivals, in my opinion, legendary Justice League International artist Kevin Maguire. I felt like watching Kev- I was watching Kevin Maguire the whole time. But where Maguire goes exaggerated, like his figures are c- like comically... Yeah. Smiling opposed, or angry yeah. or... McKelvey is subtle and in a way that I've, I've never really seen in a comic. Like, yeah. It's, it's very impressive. And the importance of Matt Wilson's colors can't be understated. Wilson helps set a perfect tone for every setting and transforms the club scene into something believably divine. This issue is crafted with such skill that it makes other titles on the stands look poor by comparison. The story and dialogue are clever, too clever for me, and the art is stunning. So even if you don't read below the surface level, you'll find a lot to like here. But the Wicked Into the Divine has layers of hidden depth if you're willing to explore them. I sat down to write this review and I felt crippled with doubt. Like, I did not know if I was going to be able to describe it in a satisfactory way. (laughs) And I still don't think I did it justice. So I'm going to sum up by saying this issue was amazing and I can't wait for more. Don't wait. Buy this book. It's already sold out at Diamond. Legend has plenty of copies left. Any retailer worth a damn ordered big on this. Go seek it out before it's too late. It did sell out a diamond. It did sell it out did. a diamond. All of the cover, all three covers. Gillen and McKelvey and Wilson are working so far above where most of the industry is right now. And it, it's too damn bad that not enough people, was, they were doing Young Avengers, right? Yeah. It's too bad that more people didn't fall in love with their Young Avengers run because that really was great. Mm-hmm. And I think what they're doing, what they were doing there was easily the inspiration for what's happening here with the younger characters. They have powers. They're snarky. Well, and the phonogram is that too. Sort of, yeah. yeah. And this is a natural progression is what I'm saying. Right. And they just killed this. This was wonderful, really well written. That like, And the gods are snotty. They're not exactly likable, you know? One of them is Rihanna. <laughs> One of them is female David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just fun and really, really intelligently written. There's a scene where a journalist is sitting down interviewing some of the gods, and she just does not believe yeah, it. Yeah, she is a skeptic. She's, She's basically like, look, this just sounds like bullshit, and you seem like a bunch of kids that are in cosplay acting like gods. And the way that the back and forth is written, and there's something that happens in that moment too, I'm not going to reveal because it's a major story point, but the way that that back and forth is written is so intelligent and believable. I mean, it sounds like an Aaron Sorkin television show almost. I mean- just very, very, and that important. is a compliment. Yeah, uh, for those, <laughs> yeah. from us, that's a compliment yeah. because we are fans of Aaron Sorkin. But uh, just really, really excellent dialogue. There's a very clever twist in the end here, and you see it coming. And then when it does happen, you're like, "Oh no, they did it!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I just want to say another real quick thing uh, without. Sp- Spoiling specifics. There is a moment, there are a couple of moments of extreme violence, I guess I would say, in this issue. And the way Matt Wilson colors those moments in like this 3D, it's like the layered, uh, like red and blue and green, like to make a 3D effect. 
And the way that he makes those pop off the page, colorists are often overlooked. Yeah. And in the modern day, uh, you know, colorists get a lot more attention. You know, Jordi Belair and Matt Hollingsworth and those guys. This book was beautiful and it would not have been as good as it was without Matthew Wilson. No. And that's what I was going to say next. Wilson and McKelvey together are a perfect team. Yeah. Because I don't think he could do what he did with the colors without someone like McKelvey's art as well. Yes, I agree. They just lent themselves perfectly. If nothing else, just pick this up and look through it. It looks like it's animation cells. It's gorgeous. It's so clean it's gorgeous. and beautiful. When McKelvey first came on the scene, I looked at his art and went, man, you know, it's good but it's not like they're just people there's nothing really right there was nothing fantastic yeah you, you know, know there's no there's no exaggerated comic bookiness to it. it it's got a simplicity that kind of uh, belies its complexity i would say he is joe maduria's polar opposite sure <laughs> and it's just stunning it's stunning to look at it's stunning to read i'm saying it now this book is the new saga. Not that saga, oh, wow. saga is an amazing read, but this book was perfect in a way that I don't think I've encountered since saga number one. It really, I, I agree. In terms that of I really, it really was all of all the members of the creative team firing 100%. Yeah. And a, just a perfect tandem. first issue. Yeah. Good story. Hooked you in. Looked great. Give me more. Huge buy it from me. Matt, tell me a little bit about Chuck Dixon's winter world. Winter World is back from IDW, written by Chuck Dixon, this time with art by Jackson Butch Geis. Here's your solicit. Winter is coming early. All new stories based on the Chuck Dixon, Jorge Zafino classic. The apocalyptic international comic sensation of an Earth turned into an icy hell is back, with Dixon returning to script and Butch Geis doing some of the best work of his illustrious artistic career as they take on the bleak and frozen future. Follow Scully and Wynn from their icy home of Wintersea into a killing wasteland where the coldest place is the human heart. Whoa! Yeah, right? Full disclosure, I'm a gigantic Chuck Dixon fan. I first encountered his writing in the pages of Batman and Detective Comics where I fell in love with his street-level crime stories and the realism that he could bring to his characters. It was only after his bat work that I read his Alien Legion one of my all-time favorite series, more about that later, and his Winter World at Epic Comics. Full disclosure here, I love dystopic future stories. And you made two <laughs> full disclosures. I have to disclose these things. And Winter World is a perfect example. This is a very simple survival story of two people trapped in a frozen wasteland. Go. It's stories like this where a seasoned veteran writer like Chuck Dixon excels. There's an economy to his storytelling. Dixon has always been able to do more with less. That is not to say that this is a simple story. There's real human interest here, and it doesn't take a massive info dump or even familiarity with the previous story to instantly care about the prickly survivor Scully, his young female companion Wynn, and their domesticated badger Rara. The story picks up right where it left off, though, after the sequel to the original Winter World, Winter Sea. Original artist Jorge Zafino died in 2002 at age 43 of a heart attack, but the amazing Butch Geis steps in to fill his gigantic shoes, and Geis is perfect for the job. He and Dixon have collaborated many times in the past, my favorite being, I think it had like a 15-issue run in Birds of Prey from the late 1990s. Here, Geist, what he does best, creating a very realistic-looking comic with his dark, scratchy, detailed star style, 
one of the hardest things to pull off in comics is bringing back the magic of an old story. But Dixon and Butch pull it off here without a hitch. This is high-quality storytelling and art accessible to old fans and new readers alike. It's not going to be a happy story, but it's going to be a good one. I'm giving this a buy it. I liked it too, and I am somebody that's never read the original Winter World. I didn't even, I haven't even heard of it. Oh yeah, before this came out, and I really liked this. It is a fun dystopian, you know, post-apocalyptic, whatever you want to call it. It's it's a harsh world with people just struggling to survive, and Dixon and Geist do a great job giving us characters that you need to care about. Yeah. Real stakes that aren't like... Being outside could kill you because right. it's really cold. Oh, we're out of gas. Right. You know, and... So everything And becomes. oh man, that guy's trying to steal our food. And so it's like there's a tension yeah, we need to, to find, even the smallest things. We need to find civilization to live, but is that civilization going to be but one we want to Should we go find? to that civilization? <laughs> right, right, right. And should we keep going in the direction we're going? What if we're going the wrong way and it's too late to turn back? Yeah. Because we are in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. Maybe. Or, yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And it's beautifully drawn and I'm giving it a buy it as well. Yeah. Fun book. You know what? I do like Chuck Dixon's comic book writing. It's a shame that he is such a lunatic (laughs) in real life. He's a crazy person. (laughs) Separate the man from the artist. There you go. Just like Tom Cruise. So that is a double buy it for The Wicked and Divine and a double buy it for Winter World. Of course, we want to know what you pagan gods and cold weather warriors thought of these issues. So snap your fingers and blow our heads off with your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the yada, yada, yada. I've said it a million times. You know what it is. Come on. It's the forum button on Twitter.com. Yes, yes. Embattled Redskins owner Daniel Snyder suffered another blow to his crusade to keep racism against Native Americans alive when the U.S. Patent Office canceled the Redskins trademark because of the name's disparaging racial undertones. So this week, while on our way to the U.S.-Portugal World Cup match, Matt, myself, our good friend Superpro, and our Brazilian host Sunspot agreed to brainstorm some new, less offensive team names while snacking on malaria pills aboard Bobby DaCosta's private jet en route to Manus Amazonas. All while we review 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Thomas Alsop, number one from Boom. Because they're jerks. I get it, I get it. This was a brilliant first issue with a lead character that's a cross between John Constantine and Jack Hawksmore from The Authority. Completely unexpected, wonderful art in the vein of Fabio Moon. Who drew this? His name is Pali Schmidt, okay. and he is from Denmark. Okay. I loved it. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Cool. Though don't overlook the terrible, terrible name. It's a bad name it for a comic a book. It's a bad name. It's the character's name, but it is a bad name for a comic book. Okay. It is a great comic book, though. Okay. Lone Ranger number 25 from Dynamite. Writer Andy Parks and artist Esteve Poles bring the adventures of the Lone Ranger and Tano to an end. And like the other issues of this series that I've read, it's a perfectly serviceable Western. Parks tells the final... Parks tells the finale of the story of the Ranger versus his nemesis, Colonel Masters. But as a finale, it fell a little flat. Parks ends the issue with a somewhat moving series of vignettes showing the Ranger and Tonto's legacy on the future of the West. And it was nice, 
But all in all, not great. Felt a little rushed. I almost wonder if anyone told him that the series was being canceled before issue 24. <laughs> so, skim it. Mighty Avengers number 11 from Marvel. I took some time during our week off to read every issue of Mighty Avengers to date, and I'm kicking myself for letting this title fall by the wayside. Al Ewing's writing reminds me of Christopher Priest, which is high praise. And believe it or not, Greg Land is actually doing a really decent job on the art. Hard to believe. I know. This is one of Marvel's most overlooked titles. Buy it. Red City, number one from Image. The story here takes place in the far future where the nine planets of our solar system are all inhabited, but it's not really clear if the inhabitants have always been there or they were just other alien races that agreed to inhabit each planet. Writer Daniel Corey... What difference does it make? But I mean, it's like there's just certain aliens that live on Venus and certain aliens that live on Mars and certain aliens that live on Neptune. Like, But they all kind of look the same. So have they always been there? Or did they just show up there? <laughs> like, they don't really go into it. That's not the story. Writer Daniel Corey introduces us to Cal Talmadge, who is such a wisecracker that he's nearly impossible to like and has a background as confusing as the story's setup. The art by Mark Dos Santos is fine, but instead of action, he's drawing panel after panel of dialogue, some of which seems almost completely pointless. There was nothing here to grab onto. Too much story, too much info, not enough likability in the main character. Leave it. I remember not hating it, but I read it really late at night, so maybe I was delirious. I just, like, at first I thought, hey, this is kind of clever, but then it's like every time the main character opened his mouth, it's like, clever retort, witty retort. And, like, the narration that took place in it, he's narrating it as if he's talking to you and I in the 20th century, in the 21st century. Mm. So unless there is some time travel thing that they haven't revealed yet, it doesn't make any sense why the narrator would still be trying to relate to us, you know? It just didn't work. Fair. Leave it. That's fine. Infinity Man and the Forever People, number one from DC. Leave it. <laughs> Dan DiDio and Keith Giffen. I thought this was dumb. Dan DiDio and Keith Giffen, the team behind the new 52's apparently beloved OMAC relaunch, are back with another Kirby reimagining. Beloved slash canceled. <laughs> well, it was canceled, yeah. But everyone I talked to that read it loved the OMAC relaunch. Not I never, enough to buy it and keep it going. I guess. <laughs> I have to say, it was decent. I'm a fan of Keith Giffen, and he's doing a great Kirby homage style here. There are a few hitches in the script here and there. And the Forever People is an incredibly goofy concept. So I can't give this really more than a skim. I don't see it lasting more than seven issues. I mean, the well, Forever Omac People are... lasted eight, so yeah. we'll see. There you go. Eye of Newt, number one from Dark Horse. Michael Haig is the creative force behind this story of Newt, a young sorcerer's apprentice, sent on a psychedelic journey into the netherworld to fetch a headdress and emerge as a full-blown wizard. Haig is a very talented children's fantasy illustrator who's worked on versions of The Wind in the Willows and The Hobbit. Here he's taking on sequential comic art, and it just doesn't quite work for me. He's very talented, and maybe I'm the asshole, but this felt very one-dimensional and hard to follow in both illustration and storytelling. There is a lot of ideas here anchored in very deep fantasy themes, maybe too many, with very detailed art and extremely strange paneling. It's probably a fantasy masterpiece. I could not hang with this. I'm giving it a skim it. Henchmen Incorporated, number one, from Monkey Brain. I actually remembered that I own an iPad and you have do. a Comixology account I for once. I you carrying it around. <laughs> this was a fun first issue from Monkey Brain about a recently paroled crook 
that comes home to a pregnant ex and zero job prospects. What does an unemployable man with his skill set do? Become a henchman. It just makes sense. This was a fun story with great art and only 99 cents. Don't be a jerk. Buy it. I, I just reviewed the print edition of Henchman, didn't I? No, that was a different one. Oh, okay. That was that one was one just called Henchman. Oh, and that was like Action Lab Monk, or Action Lab Danger Zone. I don't think like it that. was, actually. It was, I think it was like a real small press thing. Was it? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it, similar, but not the same title. Not the same Henchman. Okay. That's because you're a robot one-shot from Image. Bulletproof Coffins, Michael Coltard, a.k.a. Shaky Kane, returns this time with writer David Quantic to tell the story of two buddy cops that have just been informed one of them is a robot. (laughs) And they're on a case that will blow the whole precinct wide open. This is sheer lunacy as only Shaky Kane channeling Tom Scioli doing his best Jack Kirby impersonation can provide with a hilarious and equally bizarre story by David Quantic, who's a journalist and British TV writer who most recently has been working on HBO's Veep, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's an excellent show if you haven't seen it. Very funny. This is just pop culture comic fun turned on its ear, totally nuts, completely overcolored, as bizarre as it gets. I loved it. Yeah. Buy it. I did too. It was just stupid fun. Skinned, number two, from Monkey Brain. I checked out the first two issues of this series after hearing an interview with the writer Jeremy Holt on Comics Therapy. The book has an imagine <clears throat> the book has an imaginative premise. It takes place in a class system society where a computer system controls what people see and what happens when the system goes down and reality creeps in. Like the Matrix. Sort of, except they're living in real life. It's just that they're wearing contact lenses so that instead of seeing ugly bearded Matt Bomb, I would see whoa, like whoa. handsome McGab- handsome McGabs or, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, like it, everything's an illusion. That went to a weird place. Yeah, it kind of. Unfortunately, I just couldn't get into the whole like star-crossed lover's romance angle thrown into an already high concept story and I found the art kind of off-putting. On the other hand... This one's also only 99 cents per issue, so it's not a steep gamble to make if you want to give it a try. So I'm giving it a skin it. You can see a preview on the Monkey Brain site. You don't just have to shell over 99 cents. Yeah, yeah. Kill Shakespeare, The Mask of Night, number one from IDW. Look, I'm not going to pretend to be a Shakespeare scholar impressed with what writers Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Cole have done here, but... As a person who read Shakespeare years ago in high school and a little bit in college and barely remembers what I loved about Othello and Romeo and Juliet, I'll say that what the two are doing here is masterful. This is William Shakespeare with some of his beloved characters on the run from Prospero's Island and the art by Andy Bellinger or Belanger? Belanger. Belanger. And Adam Golam turns the bard's poetry into highly entertaining comic booking. This is a very, this is as high as concepts get here with this book. It's really well pulled off, though. Buy it. You gotta like flowery language. Splang! That is your ludicrous speed round, and splang is the sound of some kind of strange leprechaun looking bad guy shooting his four leaf clover ray at a cop car. As seen in the pages of last week's, that's because you're a robot one shot. It was just a spread with all these weird bad guys. One of which was a Frankenstein dude throwing a car. And it says, yeah. Frankie says smash. Frankie <laughs> says smash. <laughs> so good. After hearing the news, 
Alice Cooper was getting his own monthly ongoing series from Dynamite Entertainment after no one demanded it, we decided to invite Alice to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be duct taping him to a chair and reading him as many Kiss comics as it takes to convince him that this is not a good career move. And no one wants to read this. Joe, I'm going to take a turn reading him Kiss's 1997 return to comics in the pages of Image's ongoing Psycho Circus series written by Brian Holkman with art by Angel Medina. Somehow, this series survived for 31 issues. (laughs) Why don't you tell the kids what you're reading next week in the meantime? My pick for next week, because I can't help myself. Is Superman number 32. Oh, we're all going to check it out. Let's not lie. From DC Comics, this is the start of the new creative team, Jeff Johns and John Romita Jr. Here's your solicit. The Man of Tomorrow! Chapter 1. A new era for Superman! Begins (laughs) as Jeff Johns takes the reins, and he's joined by the legendary super talent of John Romita Jr. in his first ever work for DC Comics. See what they did there? Super talent? Uh, I uh. did. As they introduce Ulysses, the man of tomorrow, into the man of steel's life, this strange visitor shares many of Kal-El's experiences, including having been rocketed from a world with no future. Prepare yourself for a run full of new heroes, new villains, and new mysteries. Plus... Perry White offers Clark a chance to return to the Daily Planet. It's about goddamn time. But he's got a successful blogging career. (laughs) Yeah, so do I. Ask me how that's going. You know what? I was looking at this preview art, trying to figure out what bothered me about it. Because I like John Romita Jr. And I'll even apologize for some of the stuff that people didn't like that he did. You know what bothers me? On the cover, you've got Superman lifting, like, really, really heavy number 32 or whatever it is, or the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's... He's drooling. I saw that. Yeah, he's drooling. Why is Superman drooling? Yeah, it's just like he had a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry. My Superman doesn't drool. I don't know, man. Like, I have... You, we've talked about it. We don't need to go into it. No. It's a fresh voice on Superman. It's a writer who... Should be able to do the job. Who should be able to do the job and an artist that I genuinely love. Yeah, I do too. Like Matt, I also am a John Romita Jr. apologist. So we'll see. We'll see. It's still stupid young nano suit Superman. Yeah. I saw a piece of pencil art today where he's like, the suit's morphing over him. And I was like, ugh. But those are the those are just the details. Those are the trappings. That's not what makes Superman Superman. So we but will see. It helps to make him unrecognizable. <laughs> we will see. We will see. At the very least, I'm what I would call cautiously optimistic. Matt, what's I, your pick for next week? I would call myself morbidly curious. There you go. <laughs> My pick for next week has to be Alien Legion, Uncivil War, number one from Titan. This is written by Chuck Dixon. We just talked about a little bit ago. With art by Carl Potts and Larry Stroman, one of my favorite artists in the business. Here's your solicit. The classic series returns, blasting its way into an all-new battle-scarred laser-ravaged adventure in a galaxy torn by strife, savaged by silverware. Salvaged by silverware. Savaged by silverware. (laughs) Savaged by civil war. Boiling with spilled blood. Alien Legion is a cosmic military force doing its damnedest to keep the peace by always being ready for war. I knew if we waited long enough, we'd come up with an episode title. There it is. The squad's grizzled veterans are on what should be a boring milk run, shepherding refugees, fleeing a civil war, ripping apart their system. 
could be a good chance to toughen the newbies into soldiers until peacekeeping descends into full-scale war. I love Alien Legion. I'm not going to go into it. I talk about it all the time. It's one of my favorite series. I'm glad they're bringing it back. I am a little scared that they're bringing it back. But in reading Winter World this past week, which was even older in Alien Legion, I was happy to see that Dixon can still pull that stuff back, give it new life, give it a fresh new look. I'm hoping they do the same here. Cannot wait. I'm happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> I, th- I thought I might have something deeper to say, but I don't. Why don't you tell them about our trade of the week? I will. The THN trade of the week is the Dead Body Road trade paperback from Image Comics, written by Justin Jordan, with art by Matteo Scalero. Scalera. Here's your solicit. The men involved in his wife's death must now die. All of them. This volume collects the entire Dead Body Road miniseries. A bruising story of one man's revenge and the dark road he travels. We just, I just reviewed number six a few weeks ago. Yeah. Three episodes ago, maybe? Something. We, oh, well, I don't, I can't speak with Joe. I, I mean, I loved, loved I loved the beginning of it. I loved this series. It was just totally kick ass, super violent, super cool to look at. Mateo Scalera, one of my favorite artists out there right now drawing bikers' heads exploding and people being beheaded with shovels. Just the meanest, toughest, nastiest thing you've read in a long time. Man, this was fun. Yeah, I mean, after your review, I really had no choice but to make it the trade of the week. Right on. There are a lot of good books coming out next week, Massive Volume 3 as well, but Dead Body Road, something we were both pretty enthusiastic about. Yeah. And if anything, this will give me a chance to actually finish the story. There you go. After you're done revisiting your stupid Kiss comics, let us know what you'll be reading next week over at the THN forums. And yes, you are stupid. How many issues in did you get before he called the off? Oh, Alice? I, he said he had to go to the bathroom. I taped him for two minutes. Dude is long gone. You <laughs> can only assume he's going to kick the out of Joe Harris right now. <laughs> Once a month on this very show, Matt and I like to curl up with a graphic novel or trade paperback for our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. This month, we read a pretty short one, but that's okay. That's what happens when you let Cheater Joe pick. Look, it doesn't matter how long it is. You're right. It's not the width. It's not the size. It's how many times. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, my God. (laughs) Matt, tell the kids about Mesmo Delivery. Mesmo Delivery is an 80-page OGN, that's how the cool kids say original graphic novel, and the first English public work by Brazilian artist Rafael Grandpa, who has the coolest last name ever. Grandpa has worked alongside fellow South American creators Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba on the 2008 Eisner Award-winning anthology Five. Since then, we've seen his work in the pages of Hellblazer and on countless kick-ass covers for almost every publisher in the business. Comics Alliance writer Matt Seneca described his art as his stuff, Grandpa, hits like an atom bomb, rude and loud and sweaty, full of the banging rhythm that only comics can hope for. The guy's a brilliant artist, as even a cursory glance up top will attest. His eye for composition, owned by time in the animation trenches, is formidable packing a massive amount of information into the panel without crowding anything and managing to keep each visual element crisp and distinct. Perfectly readable. What strikes you as a barnstorming moment of insane confusion, figures sloppy with bloody language and all squashed together, reveals a deep consideration once you pick it apart a little. I could not have said it better, and I wanted to voice that. 
because, well, you know what? I'll let you recap the story here because it's not going to take very long. <laughs> Rufo, an ex-boxer, must deliver a load of goods while promising to never open or inspect his cargo. Mayhem ensues as the precious cargo becomes the goal of others. Sort of. Recap. <laughs> what we have here is the story of an ex-boxer and an ex-Elvis impersonator on the road driving across the country to deliver a secret payload. Yeah. Secret in the, uh, think of it like the briefcase from Pulp Fiction, if you will. Right, right, yeah, it, yeah. It's not necessarily important to the story, but there's something really big and important in there, you know? Or not. Yeah, or not. And that's kind of, it's left up to you to decide, and ultimately, it does not matter. No, what happens here is Grandpa, who, like the, like uh, Seneca said, used to be an animator, and before that, worked in advertising. This is his chance to show off what this guy does best and what he does is pack panels with absolutely beautiful clean animated looking art and then characters that are the dirtiest ugliest filthiest they are gross you have ever seen on the page they are gross <laughs> yeah. like think think frank quietly times a million yeah i see I someone else like him to frank quietly oh basil pardon me basil Wellington, yeah, yeah. jeff darrow yeah. guys that we're not afraid to smash as much into a panel as possible, but do it in a way that it makes sense. Every panel is thought out. Every panel moves you in a certain direction. And even shots of extreme violence, ridiculous violence. Of which there are many. Of which there are many, become absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. This, there is not much story here. A guy goes to fill up gas in his truck at a small truck stop. Another guy is sitting inside bragging about kicking the crap out of people for money. This giant Xboxer walks in. They bet him he could knock him down. A fight ensues. Heads start exploding. The devil takes notice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think we should go much more into it than that. It's You can't spoil this story. You really can't because it's more just grandpa showing off moment by moment, what he can do. Well, and the story, the story is interesting, but it's also pretty slight. Yes. Really, this is a showcase for the storytelling talents of the artist. And it's- I, I would say the story was another one of grandpa's victims in this book, basically. Well- <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> like there was something that was supposed to happen here, but the art ran away with it and it no longer became important, you know? What happens to Rufo and, you know, the aftermath left at the truck stop and, and, and things like that, it doesn't matter. No. All that matters is, is the journey. And no, absolutely. He likened this in an interview that I read to a Sergio Leone Western, which was very similar. You've got a group of misfits who are by no means likable or good-looking. They're dirty, they're mean, they're sweaty. They end up someplace difficult. A whole bunch of people get killed, sometimes even the main characters, and then the movie's over, you know? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what this reads like. This reads like one of the vignettes from Kill Bill. Yes. Where Kill Bill 1 and 2 form one whole story. And it's definitely very Quentin Tarantino-inspired, no doubt. Yeah, Kill Bill 1 and 2 are one whole story, but within Kill Bill 1 and 2 are five short 
vignettes as the bride is tracking down the members of the group that wronged her. Right. Right. And so, you know, this, this is a graphic novel adaptation just of the bride attacking the nightclub in Japan very much that so. Lucy Liu runs or wh- or whatever. Right. Or meeting up with Vivica A. Fox in the desert or whatever. Right. And it's just a snippet of a larger story. And so the larger story is kind of made irrelevant by the fact that there will never be more of it. Like, I wouldn't want to see more of it. Yeah, kind of what makes it great is just when you set this book down, your first thought was, what in the hell was that? Right. <laughs> because it is just so completely nuts. And he did a whole bunch of work designing the world that these guys live in, the beer that they drink, the labels on the beer. He that did they a drink, lot of logo design. The gas station logo. Mm-hmm. You know, like the remarkable parts of this book is grandpa's point of view, what he can do with it. There's a scene where a guy is running away from someone with a sword. And his mouth is open because he's screaming and he's running towards you and he gets closer and his mouth gets bigger and right bigger. as the guy runs towards the camera, you are seeing into his mouth. Right. And then the sword appears in the back of his mouth, opens his head up and ultimately takes the top of his head off, revealing the person behind him who has just taken his head off. Right. It is one of the most incredible Four panels I think I've ever it, seen on a page. Choreographed. Yes. Perfectly and much like much like The Wicked and the Divine, this read as very lyrical because Yeah, definitely. There are moments when the San Greco, the the elderly gentleman that used to be the Elvis impersonator, when he steps into the action. When he reveals himself, if right. you will. <laughs> A little less conversation by Elvis Presley starts to quote unquote play well, in the, the background. The lyrics of the song. Yeah, like they appear in like these flowing letters throughout the background of the piece as he's just flying through the pages doing what he's doing. Right. It's like having a soundtrack implanted into your brain through your eyeballs. Right. And it was amazing. This was less like a graphic novel and more like a hyper-violent music video. And I think his sure. his animation background really helps a guy like this handle the three-dimensional nature of what he was doing, where he would switch from one point of view to another point of view, and you never got lost. You felt like you were looking at this with a camera that was sweeping in a 360-degree angle. And the camera moves make perfect sense. Yeah, and perfect sense. Like, he had this all mapped out in his head, and just that feat alone, that's so difficult to pull off. Most comic fight scenes, you flip open... And I'm not tearing anyone down. Flip open an Avengers book. Flip open a JLA book. And most fight scenes are a panel of a dude punching someone and a panel of someone else punching them back. This was so much more than that. This was Fight Club on crack rendered into sequential art. And it it doesn't get more difficult than that. I loved this. It was a very quick read. I did too. Absolutely worth checking out. My only complaint is Raphael Grandpa does not do enough work please do something else. I would love to see his next graphic novel. Yes. Like, I, I can't don't wait for his next what it novel. is. I don't care if it's Raphael Grandpa goes to the grocery store. Give it to me, you know? Right. This was amazing. I'm giving it a huge, huge buy it. And you can pick this up for nothing. Uh, likewise. Huge buy it for me. It's 15 bucks. It's um, it's currently in print. It, it came out a few years ago. It went out of print, and it has just been re-released Which leads me in to a new edition. is something new coming soon. Hopefully. It's got like a nice intro by Brian Azzarello. It's got a bunch of like the design stuff 
in the back or and in between chapters. Right. Where he describes the characters and, and everybody in this book is like a little piece of him. It's only 80 pages. It's going to be a great, you know, couple hours of your life. It'll be like going to the movies. Huge buy it from me. Yeah, it's a very quick read, but there are definitely panels you will stare at for quite a while. But it's the kind of book that's like a shining example of how the medium of comics can be used. Yeah, like what sequential art can be, right. you know? Absolutely. Next month on Take a Look, It's in a Book, we'll either be reviewing Brian Lee O'Malley's follow-up to Scott Pilgrim, Seconds, or Max Brooks's Harlem Hellfighters, depending on which publisher gets back to us first. It's a race. Yeah. Let's see what you guys got. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Joe Patrick Didn't Have to Wrap This Month episode of THN. If you're thinking about dumping this show in favor of a comic book podcast with more rapping, please don't. I swear he'll be doing it next month. And instead, you should subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn, where we need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. I don't know. I might retire from rapping. No, you may not. I don't think that people really like it. Wrong, buddy. Ratings. I don't think they like it. Well, you want to take your top off? We can do that. This is an audio podcast. Hey. <laughs> a comic book pod, an audio comic book podcast for a visual world. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all of I our- I stole that from John Oliver. <laughs> there you go. Thanks to all of our donors. You are the lifeblood of this ridiculous institution. And if you'd like to help keep us in money to bribe publishers, you can make your donation in any amount using our sleazy little PayPal button at twoeditnerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this gratuitously violent group of resources, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd comic questions or trivia challenges. You can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, drawn on the inside of a matchbook, wink, wink, Brian DuPont, whatever, and... Don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can profess your love for Ramona Flowers or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But... If you need more TH in your life right now, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out an all-new webcomics of Go-Go by John Luttrell. I'm just glad he's still working. That's right. You know, that poor guy. <laughs> a Saturday morning cartoons from The Credible Hulk all about Tailspin. I forgot about Tailspin. Which I loved. And an all-new installment of graphic materials by Darren Jensen, the smartest comic book related column on the internet he has no business writing for our site i know this month he is tackling the controversial comments made by chuck dixon oh boy and paul revoche about liberalism in comics oh it's quite a read you guys speaking of chuck dixon if you didn't think we could get heady and serious obviously we have to hire other people to do that for that's us. right we can't but we can find people to do it <laughs> 
Next week, it's time for another THN fifth week, just in time for the 4th of July, this time in honor of our military heroes that have fought for freedom wherever there's trouble. We'll be counting down our top five favorite G.I. Joes. This week's shout-out goes to our pals John Bunger and New Mutant, who just launched their new Pathfinder podcast, Douglas and Dragons. I love that name. With some of their friends each week, John runs a party through a Pathfinder campaign in the city of Magnamar. You can check out the first episode on iTunes now. Joe, we are bringing listeners together. I know. This is ridiculous. We get a cut of everything they make. Wait, right we do. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> Until next time, true believers, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. That one is for you, Casey Kasem. You will be missed, buddy. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. <laughs>